And here we are once again. Hello, family. Man, y'all are faithful. Y'all are like faithful week after week. Can y'all believe it? We are in part 13. Part 13 of this Try Me series, and I'm going to just warn you right now, go ahead and get your box of Kleenex. This is a necessary message. This one right here is necessary. I don't want to like prolong um, the message on tonight. Thank you for everybody joining us. Make sure you take a screenshot, tag us, and let us know how this Try Me series is blessing you. Are y'all ready? Because I'm ready to deliver this word. I feel like I'm a man on a mission on tonight. So Genesis, Genesis chapter 12, this is just two verses that we're going to read. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, it starts off by saying, Now the Lord said to Abram, get out of your country, from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation. I will bless you, and I will make your name great and you shall be a blessing. Our verse of consideration, our clause of concern is our very first verse, the first verse. Now the Lord said to Abram, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. God, we're ready. We have expectation, and we're in awe of who you are, and we are asking, oh God, that you flood this atmosphere. Allow this message to be a healing message, an exposing message, God, because it is not your will for us to be bound. We were not created to live a life of bondage, but we were called to be free, and who the Son has set free is free indeed. And everybody who agrees with that prayer, would you put in the room, would you drop in the room, amen, amen, amen. Now listen. We see in our foundational text, God says, get out. Somebody say, get out. He says, get out from your daddy in them house. There's some stuff that God is saying, look, there's some stuff in your house. There's some stuff that was in your family house. And there's some stuff that hit your bloodline. And there's some stuff in your bloodline that we have to get out. We have to get out. We have to get out. I know that you want me to take you there. But I can't take you there until we address everything that happened here. I know that you're praying for me to make a way and send you there. But I really can't send you there until you're honest about what happened here. Because if I take you there without healing you from here, all you're going to do is take the same bricks from here over into there and reconstruct the same house. God is saying, listen, there's some stuff that has to go. And I want you to know I'm already thinking this message, like this segment, part 13 of our Try Me series, is probably going to need a part two and a part three to it. (laughs) It's probably going to need a part two and a part three. Tonight's going to get messy. Tonight I'm going to be exposing some stuff. It's going to get dirty. It's going to look like a surgical operation room up in here. Blood splattered everywhere. I'm going to dig up some stuff. I'm going to address some stuff. The very hard conversations that we never had in church. Matter of fact, I'm going to just say it like this. Tonight, I'm snitching. I'm snitching tonight. I'm telling it all. Everything that happened, I'm telling it. You know why? Because there are too many generations 
And there are too many individuals who are under the sound of my voice on tonight that you are held captive and you are bound due to this statement. What goes on in this house, y'all finish it, y'all finish it, y'all finish it, drop it in the comment section, don't leave me, I'll wait, I'll wait. Go ahead and get your trigger fingers, go ahead and write it down, I know you heard it before. What goes on in this house stays in this house. All that did was incubate dysfunction. That's all that did. All that did was classically condition us to learn how to cry in secret, but to smile in public. PhD, a PhD in inhaling, but a GED in exhaling. A PhD in taking it but a GED and talking about it. Maybe this is one of the reasons why our generation is so good with Instagram because ever since childhood, we've been taught how to apply filters. <laughs> we've been taught how to apply filters. We don't ever, we're never allowed to address and post a raw, unedited, uncropped version of our mama, of our daddy, of our pastor, of the church. So we're definitely not gonna post a real version of ourselves. We have a PhD in suffering in silence. Suffering in silence. <laughs> feel like I'm already coming. And, and our hearts, many times, you know this statement, sometimes we were just asking questions. We weren't trying to be disrespectful. We weren't trying to talk back. But we were told to shut up and stay in a child's place. Shut up and go to your room. Shut up and go to your room. Whooping, then go to your room. Be quiet, then go to your room. Don't say nothing else and go to your room. You know what that did? What that did was created a heart that does not know how to vent. That created a heart that doesn't know how to vent. So you went to your room and you were seated on the edge of your bed or you had a chair. You had a chair. I'm calling this the chair of emotional imprisonment, the chair of trauma. You went in this chair and you're rocking back and forth. You're angry. I believe this is how anger issues started. I believe this is how depression started. I believe this is how suicidal thoughts started. I believe this is how um, alcoholism started. I believe this is how porn addiction started. I believe this is how the enemy began to counsel us because we're in a place when we have all of these emotions, we have all of these feelings, and we're not talking about it. We're not dealing with it. So now you're grown. You're grown. Like you like grown, grown. <laughs> Paying your bills grown. you grown. And whenever something hurts you, whenever something hits you, whenever something gets difficult, whenever it gets hard, whenever you get betrayed, whenever you get offended, when something doesn't sit right with you, you know what you do? You go back to that little girl, you go back to that little boy, and you sit in the chair of emotional imprisonment because you have a heart that doesn't know how to vent. You have a heart that doesn't know how to express yourself. And when people could tell something's wrong with you, because the mouth is the ventilation system of the heart. Whew, let me say that again. The mouth is the ventilation system of the heart, and there's some stuff that your heart is having a clogged filter because you're not talking about it. When people ask you how you're doing, you say, I'm cool. I'm straight. Girl, that ain't bother me. <laughs> I ain't hear what they said. I ain't even tripping about that. Let them do their thing. I'm not sweating that. No, I I I'm cool. And you're lying. You're lying. And so, of course, you never stand up for yourself. 
because the position that you've always known is how to sit in this chair of emotional imprisonment. I, I'm going to go a little bit deeper. You know where I believe some of this comparison stuff came from? And how I can't write this book without thinking what they think? I wonder what they think if I do this. I wonder if they say, what they'll say if I write this. I wonder what they'll say if I post this. Let me first check and see what they did. Let me first check and see what they did. You know why I feel we have this comparison issue? You probably never thought about it, but I believe it started from sibling rivalry. I'm coming all down. I told you it's going to get messy. All those times where your mama said, I wish you would do this more like your sister. You see how your brother does this and that? You see how he listened when I did this? You see how your sister did this? You see how your brother passed this class? You see how your sister, you see how your brother, you see how your sister, you see how your brother, you see how your sister, you see how your brother, and now you are grown up constantly comparing yourself with other people, constantly comparing yourself with everybody else because as a child, you were taught how to compare yourselves amongst each other so you never know your own value because you're constantly living life like this, trying to see what they think, trying to see what they believe, trying to see if they approve. I'm going to go even deeper. Y'all remember that childhood game we used to play called hide-and-go-seek? Y'all remember that? <laughs> Some of us have never stopped playing it. You're an adult, and you're still hiding, and you're still seeking, but the dangerous thing is you don't even know what you're trying to find. You don't even know what you were trying to find. When you were five, you were one, two, three, but now you're 26, 27, 28, now you're 41, 42, now you're 35, 36, ready or not, here I come. But you don't know what you're even looking for. I just feel, I just feel it's necessary for part 13 of this Try Me series. Let's have a conversation around this thought from this subject. These are my confessions. These are my confessions. Yeah, yeah. Let's have, let's try confessing. You know why I think this is so important? Because the Bible tells us in James chapter 5, confess. Somebody say confess and put it in the room in all caps. Confess. We're not just talking about Usher. We're talking about a scripture. Confess your faults one to another. Pray for each other so that you might be healed. So that you may be healed. I'm seeing right here just from that passage alone. There's certain healing that you'll never experience if you don't confess. If you don't confess. I've been in tons of conferences, revivals, retreats, summits, this church, that church, and there's this constant theme. There's this question that's like interwoven in the fabric of elder pastors and elder bishops, and they keep saying things like, man, it just seems like your generation doesn't care about the gospel. It just seems like they're leaving church. It just seems like it's so hard to reach millennials and Generation Z. It just seems so difficult. It's like we really can't reach them. We really can't get them to understand the beauty of the gospel. Could y'all please talk to us? Why do you think it is that it's so hard to reach your generation? And I begin to ponder about it. And I begin to think. And I had this epiphany. I think it's due to see, saw, heard. See, saw, heard. Heard, saw, see. What we see, what we saw, and what we heard. Okay, let's break this down. Let's break this down. Okay, yes, I saw you go to church. But I also saw how you lived outside of church. 
I saw that too. Yeah, like, like I saw you lead prayer, but I also saw you flip that person off on 610 that cut you off. And y'all look real good. This is my ring finger. This is my ring finger. I don't want nobody. Oh, my God. He just flipped us off in the middle of his sermon. This is so inappropriate. Unfollow. Y'all watch worse stuff than that, like Game of Thrones and Power. Don't get me started. It was my ring finger. Yes, we saw you, but we also saw you. Yeah, yeah, I, I heard you preach Sunday, Dad. I heard your message, but I also heard you cuss mom out last night. I heard that too. Yeah, I, I saw you lead praise and worship, Mom. I saw you. I heard your vocals, but I also heard you Friday night in the bedroom with the man that you're not married to. And if I just be honest, I know that wasn't my daddy. <laughs> yeah, we, we heard moaning and groaning, but it wasn't due to no spirit. Is this too much? Is this too real? This is what I believe we need to talk about. Yes, we heard you, but we also see you. And so it's difficult to reach the people because we saw how you really lived. And I'm not saying that you have to be perfect. Parents, we're not perfect. But what I am saying is for the most part, our life should be congruent. There should not be a massive gulf between who we present ourselves to be and who we are behind closed doors. There should not be a massive difference in who we are when we introduce ourselves versus who we are behind the scenes. I'm not saying that we have to be perfect. I understand that we make mistakes. But what I'm saying is stop letting your mistakes become your state. Stop letting your mistakes become your state because if we be honest, parental wounds lead to emotional tombs. I'm going to say that again. Parental wounds lead to emotional tombs. And there's somebody watching this message right now that you're still trying to resurrect what should have never have died. It should have never have died. But there were some wounds that our parents gave us. And parental wounds lead to emotional wounds. And my concern is there are a lot of us who are content with staying in the tomb. We're content with staying in the tomb. Listen, you don't even recognize that a lot of us watching this message, you're a trauma survivor. Did y'all hear what I just said? You're a trauma survivor. You don't even know how to really label it, but what you went through was trauma. It was traumatizing. You're a trauma survivor. But the problem with a lot of trauma survivors is they don't really have a degree in confessing because the very people that were supposed to protect me, the very people that were supposed to nurture me, the very people that were supposed to love me, and the place that I was supposed to get instruction, the very place that I was supposed to get love is the same place that caused me to need therapy. I'm preaching on the night. Trying to help somebody. My confessions. The same place. I'm talking about the church too. We don't talk about enough church hurt. You got hurt from some bishop. You got hurt from some pastor that lied to you. And he was just a wolf in a, in a, like a suit. He was just a wolf in a cloak. And you didn't even, wasn't even able to recognize it that this person is just a businessman that's after your wallet, not your soul. And the very place where I was supposed to meet Jesus is the very place where I got molested. The very place where I was supposed to experience wholeness is the same place that broke me. So no, I don't do church. No, I don't do Jesus. All that religious stuff missed me with it. Because the very place that was supposed to heal me is the same place that caused me to need rehabilitation. Now, 
I don't even talk about it, though, because what goes on in this house stays in this house. And I've embodied that. I've embodied that. So now what I need, I need a new introduction of God because my parents caused me to have a, my parents caused me to have a distorted view of God. Because I want you to get this. Parents are the point of reference to God. Did y'all just hear what I just said? Parents are the point of reference to God. They're your first introduction to God. So if you had parents that were hard on you, you had parents that always wanted you to perform, make good grades, step up. We want you to be the valedictorian. And if you ever made a C, and if you made a D, and for the love of God, don't make an F. They're so disappointed in you. They're so upset at you. So guess what? When you get older, and when you miss the mark, because you will, when you sin, because you will, when you fall short, because you will, you feel God is so disappointed in you. You feel God is so mad at you. You feel unworthy of his love. You feel unworthy of his grace because parents are the point of reference to God. Yeah. The, 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 the reason you feel as though God is not there for you is because your dad said he was going to pick you up from that basketball game. And you're waiting outside the game. Sitting on the curb, waiting for him to show up. You see every other one of your classmates getting in the car with their father. And you're waiting for your dad to show up. And you see the coach walk by and he's saying, hey, do you need me to take you home again? And you say, no, my dad's coming. Go ahead. My dad's coming. Go ahead. And five minutes go by. And 10 minutes go by. And 15 minutes go by. Because there's always that teacher that waits with that student. There's always that coach that waits with that student, and your dad never shows up, and here you are in the backseat of your coach's car fighting back tears because your dad never showed up. He didn't show up to your volleyball game. He didn't show up to your graduation day. He didn't show up to your basketball game. He didn't show up to your softball game. And so now when COVID-19 hits and you get laid off and there's death all around you and you hear bad news after bad news, you feel the same way. God's not going to show up. God's not going to make a way. You go right back to that little boy that was sitting on that curb waiting for his father to show up, but he never did because parents are the point of reference to God. And so now I'm in a place where I'm staying in this chair. I'm staying in this chair of emotional imprisonment. So much going in me, but I'm not voicing it. And now I need a reintroduction of God. And not just a reintroduction to God, I also need rehabilitation. Somebody say rehab. Yeah. So let's talk. Can we talk? Some of y'all probably like, <laughs> y'all are talking, y'all are talking. Let's talk. I need rehab. I never saw a godly woman. Yeah, I don't really know what kingdom standards are. That, that, that's not my story. Matter of fact, my mother gave me birth control and told me, girl, just don't come home pregnant. Like, she talked to me about STDs, but she didn't really talk to me about the other STDs. Like, she talked to me about sexually transmitted diseases, but she didn't talk to me about spiritually transmitted diseases. Yeah, yeah, she didn't talk to me about that. She told me all this type of stuff and gave me birth control, but she really didn't tell me that if you think it's hard being abstinent, imagine breaking a soul tie. She didn't have that conversation with me. My daddy wasn't there for me. My daddy didn't daddy me, so now I'm looking for daddy and every boyfriend, and this man I'm looking for daddy, and this man I'm looking for daddy, and sometimes, and this woman I'm looking for daddy, and this woman I'm looking for daddy, because I was supposed to be covered. 
And maybe this is why I walk around half naked, because you left me half covered. You left me half covered, and I'm just walking around, and the way I dress is a manifestation of the lack of your fatherhood. These are my confessions. I need spiritual rehab. Yeah, I, I never saw a godly man. I don't know what it is to be a king. My, my dad wasn't there. He didn't give me a roar. All I know is a meow. And culture taught me that this is what a man is, how well I throw my fist, and how many women I sleep with, and how I stack my money. That's what they told me a man is. But truthfully, I don't even know if that's a man. I don't know. 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 You know why men keep saying, I don't know? Because they're not just answering your question. They're speaking their reality. I don't know who I am. I don't know who I am. I am literally a walking question mark. And there are ladies who are coming to me because I'm fine. They're coming to me because I have a lot of money. They're coming to me because I have a beard. And I'll never be able to give you a period because I'm a walking question mark. I don't know who I am. And I want to be a husband. And I want to be a father. And I want to lead a family. But how can I effectively lead you? And nobody's really leading me. These are my confessions. I never saw a godly father. I need spiritual rehab. Yeah, my, my, my mother, she mothered me to death. And I understand she was just trying to protect me from my dad. She was trying to protect me from my father. But what she didn't recognize was she didn't mother me, she smothered me. She smothered me. So now I have mama's boy syndrome. I have mama's boy syndrome because she did everything for me. She bought my shoes. She bought the Jordans. She bought the phone. She bought the cars. She made sure I was fly. She made sure I was overdressed, but I was really undereducated. <laughs> How are you flying in your grades? <laughs> there was so much that she tried to do. And so now I'm a grown man. You know what I'm looking for? I'm not looking for a wife. I'm looking for a mama. I'm looking for the woman who will let me live with her, who will give me her car keys, who will give me her apartment keys, who will let me eat her chicken, who will let me have sex with her, who will let me move in with her because I have mama syndrome. Because my mother didn't mother me. She smothered me. These are my confessions. And I need rehab. I have rejection issues. So I didn't get the accolades I was supposed to get when I was a child. I didn't get the good job, son. Good job, daughter. I didn't get that growing up. And so now when you don't invite me to the Memorial Day barbecue, when you didn't send me the Zoom link so that I could participate in the party and the graduation, I feel some type of way. You know why? Because your invitation validates me. I've allowed your acceptance of me to be more important than heaven's endorsement over me. And I'm a slave to people pleasing. And some of us, you're not a slave to people pleasing. You're a slave to parent pleasing. Constantly trying to please your parents. Don't want them mad at you. So your whole life, you're trying to get their approval. But here's the dangerous thing. When you allow somebody to give you significance, you give them the power to set your price. Woo! When you don't understand your value... You give somebody else the power to set your price so you can be worth more than the whole department store, but you'll end up settling with being on the clearance rack because you don't know who you are. These are my confessions. I need spiritual rehab. I got trust issues. I got trust issues. Trust issues, you know why? Because I fell for somebody who had no intentions of catching me. They said they would be there for me. They said they would marry me. They said they would parent me, but they left me. So now I got trust issues, and I don't vent, I don't open up, I don't talk, because I don't know if the next person is going to do the same thing. So anytime somebody new comes in my life, I arrest them as the potential offender, because I can't see 
forward because I'm stuck from the pain of familiar. These are my confessions. I need rehab. You know what I do? I bury my pain. I don't talk about it. When something hurts me, I get high. I get high. I get high on my memory. When something hurts me, I get drunk, pull up, drink. (laughs) I constantly are trying to find a way to escape my reality. But here's the thing, y'all. Feelings buried alive don't die. And you can never outrun you. Eventually, the real you is going to make its debut. And you're constantly trying to bury it in weed and bury it in sex and bury it in relationships and bury it in Hennessy. And I came here on the night to let you know from our text, God is saying, listen, I can make you a great nation. I have a land that I'm going to take you. But you have to get out of your father's house. The pain that happened, that has to get out. See, listen, everybody wants verse 2. Everybody wants verse 2. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. Everybody wants verse 2, but nobody wants to get out. Nobody wants to really address the pain that happened in childhood. Let's take this a little deeper. You know what I believe one of the massive differences between um, my generation and the generation before me is our generation will talk about it. Have y'all noticed I don't, just, just me, and I'm still young. When I was growing up, I don't remember all this mental health stuff. Make sure that you have mental health. People who got calcium, you thought they had some serious problems. Now it's like millennials are like, I got a therapist. Like, I need Jesus and therapy. And really it's like, I need Jesus through therapy. That's more what we believe. But it's like, I got a therapist. I got counseling. But when we were growing up, they didn't talk about that. They didn't seek out counseling. I didn't never hear of nothing called mental health. I think one of the massive difference between our generation and the gener- generation before us is we talked about it. Generation before us and other generations and other generations, they didn't talk about it. Like everybody knew that granddaddy was an alcoholic and that he was abusive, but nobody said nothing about it. Nobody said nothing about it. Everybody knew that Uncle Ray Ray was cheating on Aunt Sheila, but ain't nobody said nothing about it. Nobody. And we're kind of curious because we know, like, everybody knew something was up with Michael and Melvin. They had something going on on the down low, pun intended. They had something going on on the down low, but nobody talked about it. Everybody knew that Deacon Otis was sleeping with the church secretary. Everybody knew it. It was so obvious. Nobody talked to him. Nobody tried to restore him in the spirit of meekness. Nobody brought him aside and tried to correct him to see if he really just wanted repentance and a change. Nope, he still taught at the tent revival. (laughs) And nobody talked about it. And then what's crazy, then a generation wants to turn around, and I'm not trying to pitch generation against generation. I'm just speaking on behalf of generations. But then they want to turn around and call a generation, you're lost and you're confused and you're so disrespectful. I'm like, ma'am, sir, we are the manifestations of the skeletons in your closet. The secrets that y'all didn't talk about, we are them walking. The very stuff that nobody really discussed, we are them walking. The, the, the you that you were at home that didn't match the you that you were in church, that's us walking. And now you want to call us lost and now you want to say that we're confused. We're just your secrets. 
But I believe all hope is not lost. I believe God is raising up a remnant. I believe God is raising up a generation who's willing to confront it, who's willing to deal with it, and who's willing to seek God and say, listen, I need healing, and I'm not going to be fake. God, take this away from me if I have to get out of my mama's house, if I got to leave this land so I can be all that you've called me to be, I'm ready to do it. I believe there's a remnant of people that believes in the miraculous, that believes in the power of God, and God is going to use you to set people free. I believe there's a generation that is so tired of seeing this wall of dysfunction and like Joshua we're walking around it and we believe it's going to come down and by our faith and by our prayer life and by our fasting and by our petitions this wall is going to come down I have a new confession you're a cycle breaker and this is going to come down I have a new confession you are a bloodline shifter and this is going to change I have a new confession this is not where you place a period. This is where you place a comma, story, to be continued. Confessions. Confessions. So look, let's, let's talk about this, and we're going to wrap this up. Confession number one. What confession do we have to say? I believe the first confession is, we're hurt. How about that? We're hurt. You, un- you wonder why you're always tired and you lack energy. It's because you're using all of it to try to get people's acceptance, and it's tiring. It's exhausting. And you're constantly trying out for, to get them to approve you. There was a show that was my wife's favorite show, right? It was called The Voice. Y'all remember that? This is The Voice. That was like my wife's favorite show. She always watched it, okay? And they had this chair, and this person would come out, and they would be just singing They'll be trying to do everything they can. I mean, doing all types of runs, falsettos and everything. They were really trying to get, like, the person to turn around, and the judge would be just sitting there. And it was up to them to really decide if I like their gift enough, if I like their voice enough, then I'll hit the button and turn around. And I've seen people on there doing all types of stuff. They would start breakdancing and start moonwalking, and the judges can't even see them. They try and do everything to get them to turn around. They jump in the crowds, filling them. They hype, but the seat never turned around. Then they go backstage and they're crying. It's like, yeah, I thought, thought I was going to get it. And whoever the artist was up there was, you know, then give them the reasons why. And I think sometimes we're like that. We're trying to get people to turn around. It's almost like your life is like you're a feature on The Voice. And you're constantly trying to get them to see how awesome you are. You're constantly trying to get them to see that you've changed. You're constantly trying to get them to see that you're responsible. You're constantly trying to get them to see that you are a godly daughter. You're constantly trying to get them to see that you are a good man. And you're trying to do everything to get their attention. And I came here on the night to let you know, stop the tryouts. The tryouts are over. You're not trying to get their endorsement. Heaven approved you before they ever rejected you. So it don't matter if they approve you. It doesn't matter if they turn around because God has turned. Oh, y'all going to get me to run off the stage. God has already accepted you, and this is the position that he has for you. It's love. All your screw-ups have been hung up. All of them have been hung up. Stop auditioning for people. Cancel the audition. Stop the tryouts. You already got the jersey on. You're already on the team. You're already on the squad. But the first thing we're going to have to do is confess that we're hurt. Okay, I want you to see this. Look, Jeremiah 35. Jeremiah 35, verse 3. It says, the Lord has appeared of old to me saying, yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn 
you. Again, I will build you, and you shall be rebuilt, O virgin of Israel. You shall again be adored with tambourines, and you shall go forth in dancing of those who rejoice. You shall yet plant vines on the mount of Samaria. The planters shall plant and eat them as ordinary food. God is saying, listen, I've rebuilt you. I've rebuilt you. I know that they hurt you, but I'm going to rebuild you. Somebody say that hurt. Part number two, what do we need to confess? I believe we need more examples. We need examples. How do you raise a godly generation? There has to be people in the generation doing it. There have to be people in the generation doing it. There has to be people that look just like you but don't live just like you. I'm in the world, but not of the world, because you cannot be the solution and pollution at the same time. Some people have to see you do it. They have to see you be pure. They have to see you break all your toxic music. They have to see you live out the gospel. They have to see you worship. It's not an old thing. We don't serve an old God. This is not the God of the old people. They need to see that you're young, you're unashamed, and you dope, all at the same time. We need examples. Somebody say example. Number three. Here we go. I believe we need seasoned accountability. But this might mess you up. Season does not mean elderly. Okay? We always think we need somebody seasoned. Seasoned is just somebody who's allowed more salt to be put on them. <laughs> That's all it is. Somebody who has surrendered a lot. Somebody who has been really yielding their life to the gospel. Because you could have a 60-year-old fool. I let, I let my lip hang. I'm going to do it again. Fool. They can be 70 and a fool. They can have a head full of gray hair and a fool. And you can be 32 and more wiser than them. I need seasoned accountability. But here's the thing. Accountability requires nudity. Accountability requires nudity. I'm not hiding nothing. This is me. This is my flaws. This is what I have. This is what I'm willing to give up. And this is, why, this is what hurt me in my life. I need you to help me. I need deep waters. I don't know why people are like, oh, they deep. They deep. No, it's just everybody's so used to being shallow. <laughs> I need individuals, and I need deep waters so I can stop being impressed by shallow conversations. Woo! Did y'all hear what I just said? I need deep waters so I can stop being impressed by shallow conversations. God wants to take you deeper. God wants to take you further. God wants to take you higher. We have to stop being impressed with the shallow end because you're not called to swim that way. Somebody say seasoned accountability. See, here, here's the beauty of wisdom. The beauty of wisdom is I can share with you in 30 minutes what it took somebody 30 years to, do, 30 years to get. That's the beauty of wisdom. You can have a conversation with somebody for 20 minutes, and they can tell you in 20 minutes what took them 20 years to get. The pain, the suffering, everything they went through, they could just have a conversation with you. Something simple like this. Girl, keep your legs closed. That, that life don't work. Just keep them closed. Bro, stop paying her rent. Just stop doing that. Just trust God's timing. And we can't view that as, I'm tired of hearing that. I'm tired of hearing that. It works, and we need to see other people who are willing to be our Naomi, but we have to be willing to be Ruth, okay? Seasoned accountability. Number four, heal. I thought this was so powerful. Online, we were doing like this conference, and a brother of mine said, listen, you have to heal before the relationship. You have to have rehab before the relationship, 
because if you don't, the relationship will be rehab. I got to experience healing before them, or I would expect them to heal me. See, there's a statement that people used to always say. Um, they used to say, man, don't trip over them. The many fish, fish in the sea, right? And I began to think about, man, there's sharks as well. <laughs> there's sharks as well. And you know why you got to heal? Because it's dangerous for you to enter the relational waters while you're bleeding. Mm. You're going to attract sharks. And another thing, did you know wolves smell blood? Wolves smell blood. They love when you're wounded. They love when you're hurting. Now, if you're smart and you're hurting, you hide yourself in the midst of the herd. This is why it's beautiful to have community because if you're hurting and you're limping, at least if you're with all the sheep, the wolf can't tell because they have you surrounded and in the middle. But if you feel when you get hurt, you got to do it on your own. You got to live it out on your own. This is my problem. This ain't really y'all issue. You are opening yourself up for wolves because they smell blood and they look for the weakest they look for the smallest, they look for the most timid, and a lot of us, we think that when we're hurt, to run. But really, that's the time to run into the bosom of God and run into community. Somebody say heal. And lastly, I need to relearn. Relearn. What if I told you that we've been introduced to God wrong? Because our, our parents were the point of reference to God. And I need to relearn. But this is what I've discovered. A lot of people don't want to relearn because if I was wrong about this, what else could I be wrong about? And I don't want to risk having a demolition project form due to my thought pattern. And I'm wrong with about this, about this, about this. So they'll settle for being wrong. God said it this way. He said, Abram, I need you to get out of here. I'm going to make you great. I'm going to bless you and make you a great nation. But I need you to get out of your father's house. A lot of us, you're out of your father's house, but you're not out of your father's house. There's some wounds that are in here that you never addressed. There's some wounds in here that you never talked about. There's some wounds in here. And listen, sometimes the conversation about these wounds are not with the person who wounded you. Don't ever seek for healing in the same place where you got sick. And some of us are trying to have these hard conversations with our parents, and that's not the answer because I'll never be able to find the answer in the problem. <laughs> I may need to, like, okay, you hurt me, I'm going to forgive you. I'm going to forgive you. But the thing about people who hurt you is sometimes they don't admit that they hurt you, and the fact that they don't admit that they hurt you hurts even more. And a lot of us are looking for closure from people who will never give it. Jesus said it this way, forgive them. For they know not what they do. And I believe if we're going to start with healing, just like the Word of God told us in James chapter 5, it starts with confessing. So God, we come before you acknowledging a lot of things were done wrong. A lot of introductions were wrong. We were exposed to things wrong. But God, could you please reintroduce yourself? Show us that you're a merciful God. Show us that you're a loving God, that I'm not too dirty, I'm not too filthy, that I'm not unwanted. But God, you love me, you value me. And like we read in Jeremiah 31, you're going to rebuild us. You're going to rebuild us. And we're trusting you, oh God, to build in us the hearts that you want us to have. Clean us, oh God, so that we can be the vessels that you call us to be. Most importantly, God, help us to forgive. Forgive those that hurt us. Forgive those that offended us. Forgive those that didn't know what they were doing. And as we're on this quest to become all that you called us to be, help us to be gracious.
because what the generation needs is somebody else's story. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.